Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. She's an actor, famous for appearing in many top daytime soap operas. She's also an author. She's also the daughter of a police officer and married to a police officer. And she's producing and directing a film to help bridge the divide between the community and police. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at helpforourheroes.com. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those that suffer from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Their program features first responders and veterans helping first responders and veterans. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Calling us from Southern California, we have Tracy Melchior on the phone. Tracy, thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Today show. Oh, thanks for having me. It is a pleasure. Tracy, by the way, is an actor and an author, an activist, uh, uh, now working on a film about police and, and bridging the divide between uh, community and police. To top it all off, what really blows my mind, Tracy, besides being well-known for working in soap operas and other daytime, I think they call them television dramas, is that the term to use? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you can use that. By the way, when I was very young, uh, uh, a guilty admission, when I was very young, I used to watch The Young and the Restless when it first came out. <laughs> that was a long time It's ago. amazing how many men secretly watch soap operas. Well, I'll tell you the reason why I watched soap operas when I was a teenager. They had beautiful women in them. Other than that, <laughs> I didn't really pay attention to much. But we'll talk about that later on. One of the things that really amazes me about Tracy, Tracy, in addition to being a Hollywood actor for a long time, and I say it as a compliment, is also married to a police officer, and her father is a retired police officer. Uh, So you bring a unique perspective from the Hollywood world in reference to law enforcement and policing. Yeah, that's why I really felt called to start bridging those two together and do a documentary film about this, because... It is sort of a unique thing that I've got where it's, you know, we've had a lot of documentary films done by, like, law enforcement families without the entertainment background. So 
I felt like, gosh, if I could bring the entertainment background to also having personal knowledge and experience of, you know, living somewhat in the police world, not, of course, as an officer, but family of, um, I felt like maybe it would be just a unique twist that I could could share. I think that's great because quite often the stereotypical portrayal of police out of Hollywood is not I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I, I watch television at, involving police and police shows, and, and I can't watch them anymore because they're just so far off from, from reality. And, and even in so-called reality-based shows, uh, they, they handpick so it's a lot more exciting than in real life, and they, they just bypass a lot of the negatives that you have to deal with. So bringing your Hollywood experience, plus the fact that you've been in a, a police family for pretty much your whole life, you really can bring a perspective that most people don't have. Well, you know, you talk about the police shows, and we're talking about, like, you know, scripted and reality shows that are for entertainment. But, heck, even the news regarding police can be pretty um, fictional. Um, yeah, that's so a great way of putting it. Pretty fictional. <laughs> it's a really good way of putting it. It's really, it was very eye-opening for me because when I started dating uh, my husband now, um, you know, we'd be sitting there watching the news and it would be something he was on and he'd be like, yeah, that's not what happened or, you know, or that is so twisted. You know, he would tell me the other perspective and, you know, I'm sure these journalists, they just, they only know what they know, right? So I'm not trying to berate them in any way, but it sure did not always have the full picture and it's amazing how you could be led to believe and there were times where I would be kind of like what the heck why in the world explain this to me sir you know and my husband would be like okay well let me show you and let me tell you this and I'm like oh my gosh it's like you know mind blown like wow we'll do this your husband is retired from one agency and working in another one now yes so he's been in this a long time and the the police families they bring a perspective that almost no one ever hears about that you can share about a little bit later on without getting into too much personal information because it's not the easiest occupation to have. It's not the worst. It's not the best. But there's certain challenges that come along the way. And I believe personally that police families in particular, when I say police, sheriffs, troopers, federal agents, they bring their own form of service to the community because everybody in the family pays a price. Well, you have to, it takes a certain kind of person, I really believe. And that was, you know, I was really, it was very respectful of my husband when we, you know, were dating and everything. His, his father was also a police officer. So also my father-in-law is a police officer. And he watched how his father became a police officer after his parents were married and it changed him so much. They ended up divorcing. And so he was very conscious of, he's like, I refused to get into a serious relationship until I was an officer for a certain amount of time. And now I know who I am and now this is who I am. So this is how it's going to be. Can you hang? And he's like, if there's a a crisis and I don't mind giving too much personal information because like you said, I wrote a book, I'm an open book, but My husband did 23 years LAPD, and 16 of those years were on their SWAT team. So he was involved in a lot of high-profile cases and incidences and stuff like that. So he said there's going to be times when things happen, and most husbands run to their family. I'm going to leave my family. (laughs) Can you hang with that? You know, there's those sort of things. But I love you talking about that perspective, too, because 
I'm working on this documentary, but I'm also working on a real-life story of the first LAPD SWAT officer that was killed in on on duty, and he's the only one in the 50-year history of LAPD SWAT to be killed in action. And it's going to really show how that family was notified and, you know, what it was like living with a SWAT officer where you're in the middle of your kid's birthday party and they get called in, that kind of thing. So We have had guests anyway. on the show that were married to officers, SWAT officers in particular, that were called out and that were shot and killed and never made it home. And that can yeah. happen with anybody that works in any branch of law enforcement. So you know very well that you could be having a, a family barbecue, a birthday party, and if they get the call, they have to go. And that could be the last time you see them. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, it's something you definitely get used to. And it's, you know, it's a choice. Like everybody says, it's it's a choice. They're not forced to do this. It, it, it's something that they choose to do. They... So I'm not feeling sorry for us with with that. That was part of the job, and that was he accepted it, and I accepted being married to it fully. It comes with the territory. But the part we, yes. So occupational hazard, you know, and I know a lot of people when things happen, to officers they they don't care. They're like, well, they signed up for it. But here's what I didn't sign up for, and that's why I was inspired to do this documentary film. There, I kind of liken it to like a boxing game, and I don't know if you ever saw Million Dollar Baby with Hillary Swank. Oh yeah, and Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Okay, so if you recall, the reason she was critically injured, she was paralyzed, was not from the fight, which she agreed to do the fighting, and she knew there were risks. But the bell had rung, and she was walking back to her corner, and she was sucker punched, mm-hmm. and that's the part where I said. Uh uh-uh, this is not what we signed up for, the sucker punching. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's certain rules of engagement that need to be agreed upon as a civil society. And that's where I'm like, okay, folks, yes, my husband knew the risk he was taking. Yes, he was willing to take it like every other officer, military, what have you. And I honor and respect that. But that doesn't mean they signed up to be sucker punched or unfair practices, you know. And, and seems to be, at least from my perspective, uh, and, and lawenforcementtoday.com, our website, where we have so many articles daily, it seems to be that we're getting hammered from all sides. When I say we, I mean the law enforcement in general. We are getting hammered by politicians. We're getting hammered by activists. We're getting hammered by the news media. And we're getting hammered in situations where it's warranted or part of it is warranted. But what really gets to me is like like you said with the scenario with the movie is when we're being sucker punched and it's not true and it's not fair and it's not even accurate and it's done just to sell, for example, newspapers. We are talking with Tracy Melchior, actor, author, now director, producer, activist, and married to a law enforcement officer. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. 
in addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com, where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more. That's letradioshow.com. Return our conversation with Tracy Melchior on the Law Enforcement Today show. Tracy is an actor in Hollywood. Before, because there's so many different roles you've been in. I know Beverly Hills Cop 3. I know The Bold and the Beautiful. I've never watched it. I've watched The Young and the Restless, I told you earlier when I was a much younger man. Sunset Beach, I remember that. Did I miss any? Um, those are the... Oh, I did One Life to Live. Did there you, you go. see that? I did I see that one, too. Okay, there we go. So you've been in a lot <laughs> of films in Hollywood. Uh, also, you've written a book, which... Uh, we we can plug briefly because I don't want to stray away from the, the main purpose of the conversation, but you wrote a book basically outlining the sexual abuses from the casting couch and the directors or whoever that we've long suspected about at Hollywood. Uh, what's the name of that book? Breaking the Perfect Ten. It was how I broke all of God's Ten Commandments, trying to be Hollywood's Perfect Ten. So it's a testimonial book about how I became a Christian in Hollywood. And that, by the way, seems to be, an, we would think it's an anomaly. You're married to a police officer. You come from a police family. You're, you're an actor in Hollywood, and you're also a Christian. And we, we would hear that they don't exist. But the truth is, <laughs> there are more Christians in Hollywood than people realize. Yeah, there's actually quite a bit of an underground community. Um, and also, there's a lot of faith-based work going on, you know, and a lot of the studios studios are realizing there there is a demand for it. So some even of the large studios are starting to have like a faith division and that sort of thing, which is nice. So it's not as I'm not a unicorn. Right. You know, I'm not an anomaly out here, but unfortunately the other voices you hear the most and just like what you talked about with the media. That's what the more provocative voices are what you're hearing. So it's well, uh, being a good person doesn't sell, so it doesn't create headlines. When you said it, you're part of an underground movement, it's almost a shame to say that, that you have to be underground to, to work. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's funny because when my book came out, and this was back in 2005, and I was on The Bold and the Beautiful at the time, and my book came out, and I actually went on Larry King Live, interviewed me for an entire hour, which was just great, I mean, um, to get to go on there and talk about my faith for that long, but the the way I say it was I was coming out of the closet as a Christian because it almost felt like back in, I don't know, can't, I remember, don't remember the decade, maybe it was even just the 80s, it wasn't that long ago, where people like Ellen DeGeneres were scared to 
say that they were homosexual because, and she did. She lost her her sitcom because of it. I remember you know, that. It was. It's just. It's just crazy. And now we've become a lot more accepting. That way. So I'm glad you have. And, and by the way, people listening, I'm a Christian. People might say I'm not a very good one. That's fine. They're entitled to their opinions. <laughs> uh, I don't. Just because I do the radio show, it doesn't mean I use this as a platform to tell people what I believe. I try to instead tell people what I did to get better at the challenges of my life, to overcome, uh, so that we can all use some of those things. And part of what your mission has been lately is we have this huge divide, for lack of better words, between the news media, Hollywood, politicians, community, and our police. And you are working on a film. Tell us what the working title that is. It's called Monochrome. And I came up with that title because everything just, when I was, just felt very led to have to do something about this. Black and white just kept popping up. You know, the black and white police car, the black and white race issue, and the black and white being cut and dry. And, but black and white was just, eh, and I, I came up with monochrome and talking about shades of gray, and I started looking at all these black and white references also. Like, if you look up the, there's meaning and symbolism to black, and there's meaning and symbolism to white, and it's just so interesting to get into that kind of thing. And then the other thing I thought about, when I do monochrome, you think of like film, right? Mm-hmm. Like pictures and, and black and white and how those images are. And I also wanted to really do a lot of cinema, cinematic images to convey what I'm trying to do, which are things like when you're really zoomed in too close to something, you can't see it clearly. And if you're zoomed out too far, you can't see it clearly. And talking about how we all need to find that focal point on this issue. So that's where the title monochrome comes from. That's a great title. What are some of the stories or some of the ways that you want to tell your story in this film? Well, the thing I'm doing that I think is quite different and I've had a really hard time trying to describe it's because when you say documentary, people are like, and, and, and documentaries have gotten better, but a lot of them are just interviewing experts. Right. And I decided, okay, that's been done. Showing the instances, that's been done. So what I want to do is just take a broader brush, broader brush stroke. So like black and white, I'm doing two colors instead of every color of the rainbow, right? So I want to take a, a, a simpler approach. So I decided to do little, and since I'm a Christian, I reference them as parables. But they're little vignettes to kind of demonstrate analogies that I just think about. And, well, to give you one analogy that I think about, and I know some people are going to, I'm just, I'm going to be hanging my butt out to dry when this comes out. I know I'm probably going to be in trouble, but I just feel that I have to do it. So hopefully I'll get some uh, protection from y'all. But one of my references is like, the scene is a girl gets pulled over for a minor infraction, traffic violation, and she's kind of that sovereign citizen type attitude with the officer. He's like, roll down your window. No, roll down your window. You know, I need your ID. I'm not giving you my ID. I need your ID. You know, that whole thing where she's just completely non-compliant, won't do anything he says. And while they're talking, we zoom in, we see he has a gun, you know, we see that he's who he is. We see the police vehicle behind her and everything, but she's mildly interested and doesn't feel like she has to do anything he says. Now, that same girl 
is sitting in that same scenario and a carjacker comes up on her. And he says basically the same things. Roll down your window. And she's like, no. And then she sees his gun and then immediately does everything. Give me your wallet. Gives her wallet. You know, so she does everything the guy with the gun says now, but wouldn't do everything the other guy had a gun who had a gun. And so my analogy is, if a robber comes in to a bank with a gun, most people do everything he says. They comply. Why is it a good guy with a gun, you will do nothing he says, right? Now, mm-hmm. granted, in your mind, if you think he's a bad guy, you still would do a knowingly bad guy. You would follow his commands. So it's just kind of challenging people's line of thinking. And that's a great analogy, like to that. be honest with you. When you are in fear for your life or your safety, your physical well-being, you feel threatened by someone, your first reaction is to do whatever is required to get them away from you as quickly as possible. And yet we hear so often, I did this, I fought the police, I did that because I was fearful. And that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it defies common sense. I'd never heard it put that way, but when you explain it that way, Tracy, it makes absolute perfect sense we are talking to tracy melchior tracy is an actor been in many many daytime dramas also been in beverly hills cop three an author a director a producer an activist she's also married to a career police officer this is a law enforcement Today show we'll take a short break we'll be right back if you want to be a guest on a law enforcement Today show Just go to our website and contact me through there. Our website is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. So many people ask me, how did I transition from police work to a career in radio? Plus, host of the syndicated Law Enforcement Today radio talk show and podcast. The answer is simple. I attended the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, where I learned by doing. At the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, students learn in months, not years. For veterans, some or all your tuition could be covered by your VA benefits. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, training in audio, video production, television, sports, podcasting, radio, and web development. Get more information, call 800-887-2346 or online at gocsb.com. For special offers and consideration, tell them you heard about them from Law Enforcement Today. Return our conversation with Tracy Melchior on the Law Enforcement Today show. I'm kind of impressed, to be honest with you, Tracy. Uh, by the way, what's your website, Tracy? It's tracymelchior.com, and Melchior is spelt like choir, but spelt wrong. It's I-O-R. Okay, Tracy. So M E L C H I O R. It's dot com. Uh, Tracy's been in multiple television shows and also been in Beverly Hills Cop Three and uh, an author and is married to a career law enforcement officer. Her father was a career law enforcement officer. Her husband's father was a career law enforcement officer, and so she's got a unique perspective, especially in the world of Hollywood, that probably puts you at odds sometimes with the the primary culture in the industry, doesn't it? Or would it? <laughs> you know, honestly, I I don't get invited to a lot of parties. Let's just put it that way. I think uh, people are like, do we want to invite a cop to a party? I'm not sure we do. <laughs> you know? I didn't like um, going to no, one. No, I don't know. 
Uh, I'm not sure your husband has done this. One of the things that I remember be invited to a cookout and they go this guy's so-and-so they're introducing you he's he's a butcher he's a baker she's a school teacher and they go oh by the way here's jay he's a cop and everybody's oh, ha, ha, uh, hide the stuff uh, are you gonna lock me up and one of the things that <laughs> i learned how to deal with that but one of the things that, that really got my goat after a while and i lost all diplomacy is people that i'd never met before had never had any conversation with would come up and say so did you ever shoot anybody my response towards the end became, listen, why would I have a conversation about one of the worst moments of my life with a total, absolute stranger over a beer? And by the way, the answer is yeah. yes. And I walk away. <laughs> uh, and that's actually, the way it you know felt what? Like. Ironically, Rob's never shot anybody. That's the other thing. So that's many crazy. people, that, and he was in SWAT, and I'd hear people mm-hmm. say, in, especially in training films, 20 years on the job, I never pulled my gun except to the range, and then one day, boom. And I always thought to myself, where do they work? I, and it's, I know people that work beside me in the same horrible areas, and they never went to shooting. I know ones that have been in horrible shootings. And me, I was in four in 12 years, and the good news is, the first two, I never fired a shot back, which people don't believe, because of the news, they don't say that's the case. And the last two were extended gunfights but thankfully everybody lived and i say thankfully i'm grateful to god i lived and they lived yes and you know what that is i'm glad you said that because i want to really make sure and that is you know one of the things i'm just hyper vigilant about with this film is this film is not a a commercial for law enforcement it isn't like let me show everyone how great cops are the film is for both sides I care just as much about a cop going home safe as I do about the little kids that are growing up with this belief that the cops want to hurt them. And what makes me sad is one, I grew up kind of feeling like, well, if anything happens, I'll call 911 and a bunch of guys are going to show up here and women show up here with manpower and guns and they're going to protect me and I can have that protection anytime I need it. And it breaks my heart that there is a society of kids that are growing up. What do they, how do they feel? I mean, who's going to show up to protect them if they're a victim of a crime? If they don't feel like they can call the cops, I think that's really sad. I want them to know that cops are there to help them and that there is that out there, you know, to build some trust back. Does that make sense? Did Absolutely. I describe I, it well. I, I lost, how do I phrase this? I don't want to say I lost sleep because that's an overused phrase, but I still have and I'm troubled by memories of people that I couldn't help, that I couldn't save, that I yeah. tried my best. And on social media the other day, someone asked a question, they remember their first homicide. I still remember to this day being a rookie police and handling my first homicide. And he was a 16-year-old boy and he'd been shot in the chest with a shotgun and why or who doesn't really matter, but I remember them dragging him out of the woods and I was trying my best to try to save his kid's life and couldn't do it. There was nothing I could do except try to catch the guys who did it. And when you arrest the guys who did it, then you're the bad guy because not my son. There's no way my son could have done that. You're in the wrong side in in the community no matter what you do. Yeah, it's it's sad because, you know, just because you're on the wrong side of justice doesn't mean there was an injustice. True. (laughs) You know? That's very, very true. And, um... 
And that's that's my whole, you know, what I want to convey is it, this isn't about like, hey, whoever got killed by the police, well, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that, or you deserved it by any stretch. Actually, I just finished my latest series was called Games People Play, and it was on um, BET, which is a black entertainment television. And I worked with Lauren London, who was the girlfriend of Nipsey Hussle, if you remember the rapper who was recently shot and killed. It was a big deal here in L.A., but, you know, we wrapped the series on Wednesday, his children were on set on Wednesday. He was shot and killed on that Sunday. Now, I will. I was pretty ashamed of some of my friends because when I posted about that I was sad that this man was shot and killed, oh, my gosh, he was a rapper and a gangster. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we can't do that. We can't, like, as police community say they deserved it because that's what they say about cops. He knew what he was doing. He deserved it. We have to, like, get back to we're all human. There's this tribalism that's going on in our society right now. It's like it's us against them. It's black against white. It's Republican against Democrat. It's, you know, we stop. Well, it's we really all we human beings with the same wants, needs, and desires. And I see it all the time. Tracy, I agree with you 100%. For example, when we talk about gang violence and shootings in Chicago or where I was a police in Baltimore. They just broke 300 homicides again, I think for the fifth year in a row. And people say, well, as long as they're shooting each other and other gang members, they don't care. Well, we had that attitude. When I say we, I don't mean you or I. I mean, society in general had the same attitude in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s in reference to the opioid problem. As long as it was an inner city problem, as long as it was in our African-American communities or other minority communities where there was high crime, then they could say, well, as long as it's not us. Well, now, the last 10 years or so, where it's in the suburbs and it's, uh, they use terms like epidemic, now all of a sudden people are demanding answers. We didn't have the attitude before when it was slaying people and and adversely affecting families for decades. Well, I have to say I was completely guilty of that, and I really thought that was something that would never touch my life. But August 1st, my son's lifelong best friend died of an opioid overdose. And I'm sorry to hear um, that happen. And I, I I don't want to sound cavalier, but it's happened with so many families. I don't know of anybody who's not been touched to some degree or another. Yeah, and when um, I, I do hope to also do something about that when I um, when the family heals, and you know I'm a crusader, as they said. And when when the time is right, when we're ready to do anything to try and help that as well, I I will be rolling up my sleeves on that issue as well. And that's maybe um, one of the stories you can include in your film is how this is just I'm just spitballing here, by the way. This is. An example that people tend to think the police don't care about people who have drug problems. And the truth is, we've been on the front lines of this for for as long as I can remember. And we do care. We do care deeply. And we really love when we hear stories about people who got sober or, or that, that junkie who wound up cleaning up their life and getting clean and now is a productive member of society. And when they come up and thank the officers for helping, it's miraculous and it's a, a gift that keeps many of us going this is the law enforcement today's show Here's a short break we'll be right back 
If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Tracy Melchior, calling us from, I always want to say Hollywood, California, but it's <laughs> Southern California, and it's a big, diverse area. And I'll be honest with you, Tracy, I have stereotypes in mind about people from that area, and quite often they're wrong. Stereotypes about anybody or any group of people quite often are wrong. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. There is there is a, a stereotype to, to living out here. It's one-on-one. I, everybody I generally meet one-on-one is wonderful out here in California. I've met wonderful friends. I grew up in Colorado. But the thing that's different here is because growing up in a smaller town versus here is in a small town, when you see someone, you assume you might know them or they know someone, you, and you're friendly to strangers. California, people aren't friendly to strangers. <laughs> That's what's odd. It's like you you wave or say hi to someone, and they're like, do I know you? And I'm like, do I need to know you to say hi? We're the only two people in the grocery aisle. <laughs> gotcha. It's appropriate to say hi. <laughs> it's and odd. It, and these stereotypes, yeah. they also, obviously, there's a lot of stereotypes about police. There's a lot of stereotypes about race. There's a lot of stereotypes about ethnicity. And they seem to be dominating the news media they seem to be dominating hollywood they seem to be dominating so many stories and and my belief is is contributing greatly to this overused term the divide between our law enforcement communities and the regular communities that they serve and if i understand you correctly this whole divide and stereotypes is a big motivating factor behind your film yeah, I just, this whole, like I describe it as the, you know, the tribalism, where this whole us versus them, everybody's on a side. And no matter what the other other side says, they're wrong because they're the other side. <laughs> so it's like you can't even agree with the other side on even the sky is blue anymore. And it's it's really a dangerous mentality. You know, I recently spoke in front of 700 high schoolers at an event. They asked me to come in and talk about my film because they were they wanted to have things they could debate so i would come in and speak on it and they would branch off and do like debates and stuff but they got to ask questions and oh my goodness i was really not prepared for how venomous they were towards police officers as these high school students quite honestly and i i just remember they were so convinced that cops are racist, and my response to them eventually was, you will not convince me that all cops are racist until they stop taking calls for a certain race, because I think that is one of the most important things that people forget, that my husband, you, your friends, all our friends, if somebody in a black community calls, my husband's willing to go and risk their life for that black person to help them. How can you call that racist? And without without thoughts about what they look like, what their skin color is. Yes. They, these are all... Exactly. I always say this, too. When they you, you talk about race it in, in police work, it's a fact. Like, the, the officer is white, or whatever term people want to use nowadays, but it's really a factor in why things are done. 
Uh, for example, when we write a police report, we'd have to put in the notes to begin with. It was daytime, it was nighttime, it was cold, it was rainy, it was dry streets, whatever. Because they were facts. And if we didn't have that when you're testifying in court, it makes you look like you don't know what you were doing. And sometimes, very rarely, like in car accidents, that wet roadway in dark conditions could be a factor. But not often and not always. I think that's the yeah, case I- with us. In, in, in racial relations quite often. People confuse this as factors. Yeah, I, I, I think it's really a shame, and we've, um, we've definitely made that too much of a focus, and we're losing focus on, okay, did he do what he should have done? Take the, you know, if you take that out of it, policy-wise, did he follow, you know, but it's like we become like, oh, everything's about race. And I really believe that whatever you are focused on is what you're going to see. And one of the things why I want people to not assume everything is racism is because I feel like we get distracted by assumptions that it had to do with race and it takes away from and it dilutes real situations of race because people become, you know, you get sympathy fatigue perhaps. And what I really want is to not take away from when there really is true evidence of racism. Absolutely. We do need to care about that. We need to do something about that. And I don't know any officer who doesn't want a bad officer gone. They don't want to rely on, I mean, a bad officer can get you either killed or in jail. You don't want him around anymore for your own self-preservation than you do for the harm he can cause the public. But when we get distracted on what, might have been because you assumed it was racism, we're losing focus on real cases. So let's just try and, you know, use some better discernment and kind of, I I prefer to assume the best in people instead of assuming the worst. So it's like whatever you're focused on. And I've had this conversation with people before, um, and this is where I want to use my what I've learned as an actor to convey these messages, because one of the things we do when we're studying a character is we're like, what's our super objective? What is my character's point of view of the world? Because our point of view of the world is how we, the lens, we see everything. So like if my point of view of the world is people are out to get me, I'm going to be cynical. I'm going to, you know, there's a behavior that comes with my point of view of the world. And if you are raised to believe that white people hate you because your skin color, every time a white person who maybe just lost their child or whatever is somewhat rude to you at a parking lot, you're going to assume it's because you're raised. But it's because they're distracted or having a bad day or that kind of thing. You're going to make that assumption because of your point of view of the world. And, yeah, I can't change everyone's point of view of the world, and I know this is not going to, you know be some big kumbaya moment and everything with my film, but I'm hoping to just sort of get people to realize we're all just human. We all have good days, bad days. I'm rude to people sometimes I don't mean to be. You're rude to people sometimes you don't mean to be, but it's not always about maybe what you're thinking. It might be more to the story. There's (laughs) quite often more to the story, and one of the things I always try to tell people is I've tried to get better at this personally not to, and police work helped me with this quite a bit, not to judge everyone's total life based on a five-minute window of how they acted. There, there are people in prison right now doing life for murder because they, they reacted improperly. 
and they never would have yeah. before. They lived a stellar life before that. There are plenty of people who have done horrible things because of alcohol and or drugs that never would have had they been sober. I'm not saying that I forgive everybody in that kumbaya type moment, but I don't want to judge them all harshly because of one episode in their life. Yes, they're accountable for what they did. Uh, yes, they need to be held to, uh, brought to justice for what they did. But for me to have hate in my heart towards anybody it punishes me more than them. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's another thing that, and honestly, I really, I have so many things I want to cover with this. I'm hoping to make it into a docu-series, quite honestly, because that's one of the things is people assume that the justice system is the fault of the law enforcement officers, you know, and justice reform is a totally different thing. And I think a lot of officers like yourself, it's like, yeah, there's some times where, gosh, I'm shocked at how much time that guy got or that the DA or the, you know, there's so much more to it. But the arresting officer is often the one to blame for the justice system. And that, those are two different things. Yeah, they get right? the blame and they never get the credit for the good stuff. We're running out of time. What is the name of your film project and where can people get more information? The best way right now would be monochrome documentary on Facebook um, would be the best place for you to get all the updated information or my website, T-R-A-C-Y-M-E-L-C-H-I-O-R.com, TracyMelchior.com. I will be launching. We're doing a fundraiser. Um, I like to say fundraising is the other F word. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a fan at all. I do not like asking people for money, but we've come up with some pretty cool prizes for our Kickstarter fundraiser that we're starting. In fact, you can go horseback riding with LAPD Mounted Unit and myself because I'm also a horse person. Um, we got some cool prizes like that. So hopefully people will check that out when we launch it. So do a Google search or Facebook search for, uh, say the name of the film one more time. Uh, monochrome, M-O-N-O-C-H-R-O-M-E slash documentary on Facebook. I don't know there's an easy solution or easy answer, but what you're doing certainly is a step in the right direction. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. I'll just end on this last quote, which is what I keep reminding myself with my film, and it's by Dr. Seuss. And he said, sometimes the questions are complicated, but the answers are simple. And I really believe that. And so that's my goal is to just like simplify this whole situation. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Yeah.